I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. You're listening to the Acknowledge Podcast. Welcome back to this week's podcast. This week we will be talking about some occurring events that are happening in the United States right now and then how the Ukraine war it will be affecting agriculture in the United States. But first off, we're going to talk about avian flu because it's kind of had a couple outbreaks. I wouldn't say really large outbreaks like there was in, I think, what was it, 20... Ooh, I don't think it, it was, was 2012. seven years ago, so... Okay, 2015. But it's mostly... I, I think it originally started in uh, North Carolina, and then it slowly has made its way over to the, the Midwest, and it's been affecting quite a few flocks over here. But uh, just to get started, avian influenza is a viral disease that mainly infects birds, some migratory birds, waterfowl, and shorebirds birds are natural carriers and it affects chickens, turkeys, pheasants, quail, waterfowl, swan birds. This is from nda.nebraska.gov. It's their uh, avian influenza brochure or AI brochure. Um, So it says, why should we care about avian influenza? And there's two forms of it. There's a low path and a high path. While low path rarely ever causes diseases in birds, um, high path is very contagious and causes a lot of infections in birds around the area. Um, And under some circumstances, low path can mutate into high path. Although disease experts say human cases are rare, individuals who are in direct contact with infected birds or their droppings can be susceptible to the disease in human form. And a single case of avian influenza in Nebraska could affect the livelihood of Nebraska poultry producers. Um, A lot of the producers around here practice really strict um, biosecurity, which is basically meaning suit up before you go in, wash down, yeah, do the same thing going out. And even like trucks and stuff, they're not allowed on the property unless they're pre-approved. And then if you do come on the property, you have to like sign paperwork, you have to have a clean truck, you have to have a lot of things in order when you come to these facilities. Some signs and symptoms of high path avian influenza is a decrease in water consumption, a decrease in egg production, soft-shelled or misshapen eggs, swelling of the head, eyelids, combs, and wattles, purple discoloration of wattles, combs, and legs. Respiratory signs are coughing, sneezing, and respiratory distress, so just a hard time breathing. Mm -hmm. Unstable coordination and sudden death. So just to go a little bit more into how it spreads. So it kind of says it in there a little bit, but it spreads through basically bodily fluids, what I would consider bodily fluids, I guess. It can easily spread from like wild birds, like it said, because again, birds, you can't like control where they go. You can't control what they're touching and everything. And so that's how it usually gets from farm to farm. Otherwise, there's like a bird on that farm that might not be showing symptoms but it's carrying it Mm -hmm. and so like the asymptomatic type of thing yeah Yeah. and then that truck might have had contact with that chicken and that chicken's obviously touched every other chicken in the near facility and it can carry it to another facility this is really bad because usually like in the outbreaks i know around here there's not much they do they just kind of um exterminate the whole barn. Yeah, they because cool off their population. Yeah, because there's not much you can do. And at that point, if it is an outbreak in an entire barn, it's easier to prevent it from spreading mm-hmm. than to... So you basically get rid of the population and then clean everything yeah. out. Yeah, and, and then sanitize start all over and again. everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to the CDC, they 
have a statistic that the high path virus is can affect multiple organs with a mortali- mortality rate of 90 to 100% in chickens and often without within 48 hours they after catching the flu mm-hmm. they'll die and uh, ducks can be infected without any signs of illnesses so just like we said the asymptomatic in our normal poultry you can see it in our waterfowl and then also non-domesticated birds so agnes i know you said that it can like spread to humans and we were talking about a little bit before the podcast but can you like tell people other diseases they might get from chickens just that kind of goes along with being safe and precautious like even if you're not worried about avian flu some other things that you can get from being a little too intimate with chickens (laughs) i was telling claire like some people have pet chickens and so you know they'll kiss them they'll hug them you know things you would do with a pet because they're chickens but you can actually get like e coli I don't know other ones off the top of my head, but... Can't you get salmonella from undercooked chicken? That's one instead. Well, yeah. You can probably also get that, though, from live chickens of, like, kissing them and stuff. Because, again, they're not necessarily clean. I mean, they're outdoors all the time. And you can't prevent them from giving Mm -hmm. you something. All you can do is take precautions to Mm -hmm. not get sick. Because I was saying when we were cleaning chickens, I think it was last year or a couple of years ago, my, my brother got really sick afterwards because he got some bodily stuff in his like facial cavities and he got really sick, <laughs> which I shouldn't be laughing about. It was very sad, but it wasn't that serious, so it's okay. <laughs> well, just like the avian flu, like touching it or anything that's been infected by the virus and then touching like your eyes, nose or mm-hmm. mouth is where you get direct contact with that flu. Or touching, like, a contaminated surface in the pins. Yeah. I almost think about that, like, a good way to, like, compare it to is, like, if you're, like, cutting up jalapenos, then don't touch anything Mm -hmm. because you're going to hurt yourself. So I always think of, like, that's a good way to think about it. Like, if you think about it like you're cutting up jalapenos, you're not going to touch yourself because it's going to make you sick or it's going to make you hurt. Yeah, you're not going to touch your eyes. You're not going to touch your nose. You're going to wash your hands, obviously. But even then, it's still can be on your hands mm-hmm. because your hands aren't smooth. They have grooves and crevices. Mm-hmm. So everything will get stuck in there. But uh, diseases that go from animal to human, human to animal, they're called zoonotic diseases. They, like we said, it usually happens when you're interacting with the animal. And usually it's a live animal. It's I don't know if bovine tuberculosis. Wow. <laughs> tuberculosis. Tuber- <laughs> I still can't say it. Bovine TB <laughs> uh, can be passed through milk or um, meat. I'm not sure about that. That's actually one of the first things that created vaccines. Um, It was during the smallpox outbreak and people were seeing that um, milkmaids were not getting smallpox or if they were, they were surviving it. And that led them to being like, why? Um, And they did a lot of research and it's because they were coming into contact with um, bovine smallpox. And so, so they had they built, had up, built up, an up an immunity immune system, uh, an immunity to smallpox, the smallpox, a variant, basic, yeah, yeah, basic variant. And so they had a better immune response. Immune response. Thank you. <laughs> immune response to the smallpox virus. And so that's how they came up with like the first vaccines and stuff. They were um, actually they would put a small cut on like the ch- a kid's hand or arm or whatever. And then they would actually put this bovine smallpox into the cut and it would help them build up an immunity to it. Oh, interesting. Obviously, we have come a long way from cutting <laughs> We're not cutting, cutting a scratch. 
um, and then putting the disease directly into their uh, open wound. But um, yeah. It's more sanitary and faster. (laughs) It stays a little more efficient. (laughs) But just some different ways that uh, zoonotic diseases um, are transferred are direct contact, indirect contact, which, you know, obviously direct is you're touching the animal. Indirect is that animal touches something and then you touch it. Mm -hmm. Or like you bring it in like on your shoes or something. Vector-borne, which means you're being bitten by like a flea, a tick, a fly, anything like that. Anything that's, that's carrying, carrying it. the mm-hmm. disease, yep. The only one I can think off the top of my head is like West Nile, like when a mosquito bites you. Yep. Food-borne, so um, <laughs> this is from CDC, by the way. It says each year one in six Americans get sick from eating contaminated food, whether that's from undercooked meats and eggs, raw vegetables, um, and fruits that have been contaminated from the feces of an infected animal or other like contact with the food that way and waterborne so contaminated water and you're drinking that um obviously the people that are bigger risk than others are um children younger than five because they don't have the immune system and then adults older than 65 because again their immune systems are starting to kind of slow down and they're not being as protected as usual so pretty similar to most other illnesses Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And really, I mean, safety is basic. You know, it's washing your hands, making sure you're cooking food appropriately. And then... And if you're working with animals, like maybe put on gloves or put on like boot covers or just... PPE. Yeah. Make sure you're not touching your eyes, touching your mouth, stuff like that. And also maybe wearing a respirator just to save your nasal and mouth passes. passages. (laughs) So I know when the a couple years ago, like you were talking about, there was like a big thing about the avian flu. And I think there was even like a point that like at county fairs, people were not having chickens there. So Mm -hmm. it wouldn't spread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember Um, that. I recently heard that the zoo had closed their um, the Omaha Zoo. Okay, Henry Dorley. Henry Dorley had closed their avian... Oh, their, like, um, exhibit. Yeah. Where you walk through, it's, like, the bird. I don't know Like, where the flamingos are and their exotic birds are. Yeah. I just went there this summer. What is it called? It's avian... It's changed so much since I've been there, so I don't remember Oh, I went there last summer, and they were redoing the bear exhibit. It's called an aviary. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) But they were, like, redoing the bear exhibit, so it was closed down. But it has changed so much. They have, like, three different elephant areas um, because, like, they the bull elephants, like, uh-huh. aren't with the group yep. because in the wild they're not. Um, and then, like, their whole safari um, is, like, all together now. Like, they'll have, okay. they have giraffes and zebras together. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, their big cat exhibit was closed, too, so I didn't see that. But. See, when I went, I think it was in April of last year. They had the orangutan and like the like the the gorilla enclosure and all 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 they of were those. Const- they were that was under construction. Yeah, though. they were doing because they were expanding their area because I think they had a larger population or something along the lines. But then they also had just opened the Asian exhibit, so they had I think it was like the Asian Highlands, and so we got to see that because it was just recently opened, and that was beautiful. Yeah, I just, speaking of though, I just found an article from Omaha World Herald that's 
Entitled Omaha Zoo Aviary Closes, Chicken Owners Need to Take Extra Precautions as Avian Flu Moves Closer. So people are definitely aware of it because I found Mm -hmm. articles on like KETV and a lot of like more local stations. So I think it's good, especially when it's like just starting to become a bigger problem. You know, you want to like cut it off before it becomes too serious. So Mm -hmm. it's good that they're kind of spreading awareness through that and it's good to take precautions like closing the aviary because especially with rare birds you don't want them to get sick and die because that's really unfortunate especially when we don't have those birds here yeah like it's good for people to see what they look like especially the ones that are in the endangered exactly yep um this article is from carney hub which is a a local paper (laughs) yeah a local paper there um but it was last week where the first case of avian influenza was found in nebraska in wild populations there was a a goose that was confirmed to have it so that is what really increased people's um suspicions especially in the northeast area because it's in the wild population yeah. so well, it's birds going are to be also able to coming faster. back they're migrating the back now especially yeah. in yeah especially you've seen a lot yeah. of geese recently this morning they were going back. so crazy so yeah, so that's that's again another way it spreads is by migrations. They're moving mm-hmm. around, they're touching different places, they're interacting with different animals, so it's going to spread yeah. that way too. Well, in waterborne, they're landing on that's our yeah. <laughs> ponds and the lakes around in Nebraska, and so yep. yep, exactly. But according to the New York Times, since the early beginning of this year, so January, there were suspected cases of the avian flu in northeast canada and so they started doing some mass coolings and import bans because it was also affecting migratory waterfowl from like florida and maine and then there were some infected backyard chickens in virginia and new york and then um the turkey population in kentucky and indiana were also affected at the beginning of this year mm-hmm. so they were just trying to even though it was only on like the east coast and in canada they were trying to curve the virus even back in january yeah and so i'm assuming what they did then has helped significantly because it's halfway through march right now and we're only seeing our first reported case in nebraska only a week ago mm-hmm. But even like you said, for people who just like do it like backyard chickens mm-hmm. or a hobby or just like a, even a little flock and not necessarily like the big barns, you're obviously you're not going to have like PPE maybe to go check your little shed for eggs every morning and get right. like, you know what I mean? But still just to be aware so you can look out for symptoms or anything so you can catch it if it does happen and, you know, talk to somebody about how do I take care of this? What do I do? It's important to like reach out for resources and be aware of these things just so even if you're not necessarily a you know would consider yourself a chicken operation you if you still have chickens just hanging around it's important to be on the lookout and say hey this doesn't look right it's discolored breathing funny we need to do something Mm -hmm. about it back on to that uh nda nebraska gov website Mm -hmm. what i'm looking at is the brochure but um, they say that you should report sick birds by calling NDA at 402-471-2351, the USDA at 866-536-7593, or 
or your veterinarian because obviously you don't want it to spread to other flocks, but it's also for their own records mm-hmm. so that they can say, hey, we had a bird sick here. It's exactly like COVID tracing, how mm-hmm. you if you got COVID, right. someone would call you to see where it's at. It's the same concept, yeah. basically, of where is it at, where is it spreading to, where is there a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And currently the strain has not spread to humans, but virologists and epidemiologists. Epidemiologists. Thank you. <laughs> say that they are mount the amounting of infections of birds is worrisome. So just increasing your knowledge about the avian flu and just trying to keep yourself clean and your production clean, even if you are just like a backyard farmer. Or if you own a big operation, just trying to keep an infection rate low. And then also from this article I'm reading from the New York Times, it says Dr. Gail Hansen, a public health veterinarian who was a former state epidemiologist. Did I say that right? Epidemiologist. Epidemiologist. Thank you. I know I'll probably butcher it again. Uh, But for the state of Kansas noted that influenza viruses have historically been behind the pandemics that affect humans. Some medical historians have traced the deadly influenza pandemic of 1918 to army recruits in Kansas who may have caught the pathogen from farm animals and then spread it to the military camps in Europe. So just a little history fact for those. So that would have been Spanish flu, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so, yes. I guess moving on, we were going to talk a little bit about how the Ukraine war is um, affecting agriculture in the United States. I know it's a pretty like touchy subject right now with uh, oil prices, but that's part of it, right? Uh, how is it going to affect U.S. agriculture? So Russia is a big player in the fertilizer market, and Ukraine is number one in the world for wheat exports. Where are you finding that info, Agnes? This is from modernfarmer.com, um, and it was written March 5th. Um, so... Oh, I guess it was February 24th when Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a special military operation in Ukraine, and uh, that's when it started. So uh, a lot of agriculture corporations have stopped operations in Ukraine. Um, Obviously, you can't can't really farm when you're being attacked. Yeah, it's Um, just dangerous. And this is obviously going to put a huge, huge damper on all of their exports because again they're number one in wheat u.s is a big buyer of their wheat Mm -hmm. um i also think they're a big exporter of sunflowers and then obviously russia is a big exporter of oil and last week we had put sanctions in to stop buying oil from them Mm -hmm. so that is also going to is causing our gas prices to go up and also our fertilizer prices are going up um, I recently went to kind of like a, I don't want to say conference. It wasn't a conference, but it was a kind of a training for manure specialists, actually. Um, and there was a speaker there and he was saying that for the first time in ever, they are taking orders for manure because fertilizer prices are through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia is also a big exporter of natural gases, which helps make the fertil- or nitrogen fertilizer that we use. Mm-hmm. My AP article that I'm reading says that Russia is the lead producer of fertilizer and a key component of most fertilizer is urea, which has jumped more than three-folds in price in the last 12 months. Urea? 
What did I say? You're a... Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I just... If someone was wondering what you meant. <laughs> I said that in my head, and I guess it didn't come out correctly. <laughs> but yes, uh, my article from Modern Farmer says that they are... Because they're the number one... or world's top exporter in natural gas, um, we use that to make nitrogen fertilizer. They are also... A, a top producer for potash, another big fertilizer that we use in the United States. They and Blaris, which is Russia's closest ally, um, make up more than 40% of the global potash market, according to the Fertilizer Institute. So fertilizer prices have skyrocketed in the past year, and they're just continuing to triple and quadruple. But I mean, like, so we when we talked about, like, every state and their specialty, this kind of goes this kind of parallels to that in a way because like it's obviously easier to access things and get it fresh and all that when you are the one doing it or it's locally produced Mm -hmm. whereas if you have to export things that makes things difficult because then you have to have relations and permits and everything even to go across state lines you know Mm -hmm. what I mean so that's why it's such an issue because you have like the all the paperwork and taxes and everything that goes into it First of all, that's a lot. And then second of all is when there's conflict or something happening that maybe makes production a little funky or makes things more difficult to get. And just there's just so many different factors that play into all of this. Yeah. The market is obviously global. So even though the U.S. gets 86% of their potash from Canada, there's still going to be a disruption because we only get 86% of it from Canada, which means we're getting it from somewhere else. And so we aren't importing things from Russia right now. So that means we're going to have to fill it in somewhere else. Hopefully we can do it domestically because that's the ideal thing, right? But we don't know how that's going to affect prices in the long run. Mm -hmm. Well, according to AP News, the global supply gap has been increased uh, with our international food and feed prices which has jumped between from 8 to 22% above the already elevated levels because of the pandemic. And according to this article I'm reading, it says figures show food prices have reached an all-time high in last month, so February. And global prices of wheat and barley, which uh, we had discussed, rose 31%, which is an outrageous amount for this short span of the Russia invading the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And according to the article, it also states that wheat prices have surged more than 50% since a week before the invasion. But I mean, it's essentially like the stock market. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Tesla shares, if Elon Musk shares like a tweet about something, they'll, you know, they'll fluctuate. Yeah, yeah. fluctuate just based on that. So it goes mm-hmm. like, it's exactly like that. Anything can change at any second. And it's not just a couple points that can fall or go up by a ton yep. just yeah. by something yeah. easy. And a war especially, that's why it's such a big change Yes, because that's, you know what I mean? Because depending on everything that happens and the damage, it might be months or years before they get those things going again, you know? And then on top of all of that, uh, the rising prices of gas and fertilizers and the droughts that have been happening across the Midwest, like the Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa, mm-hmm. They have already helped push the global price of wheat and other commodities. That Ukraine is a significant significant producer of barley and vegetable oil. 
So they're trying to make up for that. But right now we're not in our growing season. Yeah. We're just heading into spring. Ukraine alone accounts for 15% of global corn exports. Um, this is from an article on the New York Times called What Does Russia Russia's Invasion of Ukraine Mean for the U.S. Economy? But it's it's not going to necessarily affect us directly because, again, we're not necessarily buying all of our stuff directly from Russia or Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, other countries are buying from them mm-hmm. and we're buying from other countries. Yeah. So It's all of, like everything's so like globalized now that even if we're not directly affected someone who we get stuff from like everything's tied together in some way shape or form yep so according to the washington post an article titled agricultural companies pull out of russia as u.n ramps up the efforts to help ukraine's farmers so the article just discusses that agriculture accounts for nine percent of ukraine's gross domestic products and that, like, ADCO, they announced that they have suspended the sale of all new machinery in Russia and Belarus. And just saying that, even though that both countries are vital, are both vital to the world's food supplies, it was carefully considered to best serve their farmers. And together, the two countries produce 30% of the wheat in global markets, which we talked about, and then also three quarters of sunflower oil exports and one third of the barley supply, according to the United Nations World Food Program. But other companies that have taken a stand are John Deere. They, they've stopped shipments to Russia. Also, Caterpillar said they were going to shut down their manufacturing facilities, uh, which will disrupt um, san- sanctions and distribution and um, committing $1 million to support the Ukrainians as well as there was another one that said they were going to help. But that's that's about it for the major companies that we've talked about on the podcast so far that have taken a stand uh, against Russia and supporting the Ukraine and just trying to do what they can for farmers in the area and a little bit more like within the prices and stuff um obviously we were already seeing inflation before the war but inflation is currently at a 40-year high according to an article on agriculture.com and global food prices have reached new records within the last month according to the usda and yeah so we've been seeing a, a huge increase and a lot of our our food products in stores and then we're seeing that they're going to continue increasing especially because oil prices and gas prices have gone up and so you have to distribute food obviously they have to transport it and if you have to pay more to do that then you're going to pay more for the food right so if you're looking to be a gardener now would be an opportune time (laughs) you know you got practice you got practice last year through covid so Now's the time to save to have grow your own food. <laughs> well, with gas prices and like the increase of food prices that we'll see in the grocery store, it wouldn't be a bad decision to grow some staple crops in your backyard. That's what I'm saying. Potatoes, potatoes are like, easy. They're pretty. I know easy. radishes, tomatoes so will easy. grow like crazy, and you oh, can use no. them for a ton of like pasta stuff because pasta is mm-hmm. pretty easy too. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know we usually do cucumbers over a hundred hills of potatoes, and that usually lasts us a family of five most of the year. Uh, 
but like sometimes in winter we'll have to go to the store and buy new ones and it, they just don't taste the same because you know process if and anything just use it as an excuse to garden yeah um but I mean, really, you don't need like you can garden in a backyard. Like you don't yeah. necessarily need all this fancy stuff. You can have a watering can and like a five by five plot and just get started somewhere. You know, everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. And if you don't live and, with a place that has a backyard, you could do it inside. There's a, that's a true. there's a rise in hydroponics. Yeah, that's and true. also as aquaponics. I think we've mentioned both of them before on the podcast. Yeah. But just having, you know, maybe a windowsill and having some herbs. Start out with that mm-hmm. and then grow your knowledge and food supply. It'll make your air fresher inside. It's good yeah. for you to have indoor plants. And I think gardening is just a good way f- to help people with their mental health. I know when I garden, it's a good time just to relax. You're outside, fresh air, all of the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. And it's time alone. You could put some earbuds in and just blast music and just enjoy an afternoon gardening. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, switching back to gas prices <laughs> for real this time. Um, so Kansas Corn um, has a post and it says E15 is approved for use in 97% of cars on the road today. And I'm sure we touched on that when we talked about ethanol a couple episodes ago. So that's why we wanted to talk about this because we were just talking about ethanol and the whole um, gas prices thing kind of fits right into that. So uh, the nice thing about ethanol is like that's a good way to support farmers. And especially with rising gas prices, it's I mean, ethanol options are usually the cheaper options anyways so save you money help local farmers it's a win-win as far as i'm concerned (laughs) um so more than likely you can put ethanol fuel in your vehicle so look into it um but their post also says if we'd replace one-third of our standard unleaded 87 which is e10 gasoline with unleaded 88 which is e15 gasoline we would replace the need for every job of Russian imported oil. So basically, we wouldn't even miss it if we did a switch over to that more dependence on ethanol, less dependence on just gas, gas, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there was also, um, according to Six News NBC, which I'm pretty sure is out of Omaha, there was a new bill um, to cement the Russian oil band and encourage use of biofuels. So it's called the Home Front Energy Independence Act, and it's a bipartisan bill that was introduced by Iowa Senators John Ernst and Chuck Grassley. So um, it combines like a lot of previous bills that were kind of going towards incentive of using biofuel, which has been a big thing in the last couple of years. So it kind of combines all of those. And then it also adds full restrictions on the U.S. purchasing Russian oil until Russia recognizes Ukraine as a sovereign nation. So that's kind of a win-win for that scenario. Um, like I was talking about, you can be more dependent on ethanol support our farmers and kind of not be supporting Russia. So, yeah, so the ban on Russian oil imports has, you know, skyrocketed across the country. Um, Everybody's been posting pictures of the gas prices in their different states and how it's through the roof and making jokes about now we're going to have to ride horses again, you know. Um, But realistically, like, ethanol has, like, been the way of the future for a few years now like it's pretty easy again it supports farming it's more clean for the environment like it's it's a good 
viable option and it's definitely something we need to look closer at especially since gas prices are so crazy right now like that's a good avenue to keep that at bay i think it's also important though to look at supply and demand right now a lot of people are bulk buying gasoline and we stop stop doing that Um, (laughs) you're making it worse (laughs) yeah because you're you're literally running up demand and you're draining the supply. Mm-hmm. Um, when gas prices were low um, a couple years ago during the Trump presidency, a lot of people don't realize that that was due to supply and demand. We had a lot of supply and no one was buying it because we were all we were in all lockdown. Quarantined. Like, where was I going to go? There to was... my living room? I don't need a car to get there. <laughs> <laughs> there were strict um, travel bans in place or travel restrictions in mm-hmm. place. A lot of people weren't going to work, so they weren't having to buy gas. When all of those restrictions were lifted, people were like, I'm going on vacation. I'm going three states away. I'm going to see like, every single member of my family ever. <laughs> right. They were getting out of the house and a lot of people were using gas. Mm-hmm. And that's why they went back up again. And they went up and then um, obviously this... Uh, the, the ban of importing oil from Russia hasn't helped, but at the same time, a lot of the people that are driving vehicles on the road right now are already buying higher ethanol-based mm-hmm. products because, again, they're already cheaper. Your vehicles are supporting them. Supporting them. So a lot of people have already switched. switched. Mm-hmm. But gas prices also went up when there's a push for electric vehicles. And we're just, I, I think a lot more people are going to switch, especially when they realize, you know, gas prices right now are, are not going to be. But um, even like hybrid. Like yeah. Some, because sometimes electric vehicles, there's not a whole lot of options. Yeah. And, you know, like, well, okay, never mind. I'm not going to go down the avenue because I was going to go somewhere, but I'm not going to go well, there with like it anymore. Well, like the availability well, but, of charging stations yeah, is that's another, few and far between, yeah, especially in the Midwest. So, like, if you have, like, hybrid vehicles, that's a great option because they run on electric but also use gas, but you have to use, like, a ton less gas, and, like, it's mm-hmm. it's a good right. combination. And, it's a good halfway point. And we are seeing more brands extend into electric vehicles but again they're newer on the market yeah. they're really expensive a lot it of people cannot afford and money them. to research and develop these different vehicles yeah. and stuff like it and a lot of people don't have the money right now to mm-hmm. buy an electric vehicle because again, it's a big investment new. like it's like it's like buying a house like you have to pay a lot up front in order to get the savings over time like yeah. that's yeah. a big decision to make it's just i i know we really want um electric vehicles and i'm all for that but we're going to have to take into account people's minimum wage around especially the midwest even in higher living areas like california and stuff where people can't afford to just drop but another twenty thousand. but another thing with that is there's the public transportation across america is extremely lacking when you look at other developing countries. Yes. And I know it's difficult to have that in rural places. Like, it's probably not going to make you a lot of money to have, like, a train from, or not a train, but, a like, bus. a bus or something. You know what I mean? But, like, it it's, it's still going to save so much fuel and so much money and, you know, be good for the environment to yeah. have public transportation and a solid infrastructure. Right. And I wish we could see more of that in... Like, not necessarily our bigger cities because, like, Lincoln already has busing systems. Yeah. And, but I mean, like, small buses for like college students. Like, here on campus, we have Wildcat Wheels. You can 
um, take them to the store or whatever, or they'll drive you to the store or something and you can carpool with people. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more cost effective than one person driving back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Or even three different people driving to a grocery store instead of carpooling. Exactly. Like you're all going to the same place. You can just. And so that's why public transportation is also a really good look to the future type of deal because it would help a lot of people, especially people who can't afford electric vehicles. That's another avenue to go down to make it affordable for people. But the other thing besides supply and demand, there's also people, oil companies, that are making a huge profit off of this stuff. And why would they lower the price for that? And you know, like because they're that's, not, not going to lower the price that's for you. more money in their back pocket, period, um, at the end of the day. And, I was you know, actually that's sometimes all people care about, which is really sad crummy. and kind of awful. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. People will do what they want to do at the end of the day. So if they want to raise gas prices by a bunch, this is a perfect kind of opportunity to do that. I think there's a lot more to look into there. Because yes. like you said, why are they going to lower the prices if there's still a high yeah. demand for it? Yeah. And if you're willing to pay for it, then of course they're not going to lower it. Well, the thing with that is, like, not necessarily willingness to pay, but we need to go places, like, period. If you have a job, yeah, if you have a job, 90% of us have to commute to a job. Mm -hmm. I mean, with COVID, that changed with remote work. Like, now people are more flexible, but still, like, many people commute to work. If you don't have a car, you don't have a job. Like, that's how a lot of it is. And has been for a long time. Well, and we need to come to school. Right. That's we need to go to the grocery store. We can't walk to the grocery store. You know what I mean? That food needs to get to the grocery store. Yeah. We need to travel, period. So there's. And we don't all have horses. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know nowadays my older sister, she works. I think her she's a manager title or something between that. And the amount she spends going from home to work and back she spends almost as much as she earns so she's not having that profit to pay for living expenses and other stuff so most of her paycheck is going towards getting a paycheck yeah exactly and like i know my truck a hundred dollar bill won't even fill it up anymore i think it's at like 115 120 with the price of gas being 389 the last time i filled up how big is your tank? I think 30 gallons. That's a big tank. Well, it's also a truck. Well, yeah. But even me, like, mine's usually 20 bucks to fill up. And the last time I got more gas, so it was more expensive. But even, like, the eight gallons I usually need to get, it was just so much more so fast. And it's like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at, like, I don't want to look at it, but I have to. <laughs> I was, uh, I usually wait until my gas tank's about quarter of the way full and then I'll fill it all the way up. <laughs> and I think usually I can spend like 20, 25 bucks filling it up. And I think last time it was 35 and I'm like, nice, yeah. you know? <laughs> and like, like you said, I I had to work, so mm-hmm. I was going to have to fill it up. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it'll eventually have to come down just like all the other prices. I mean, we've seen a pretty consistent price right now with corn i think it's at about seven dollars a bushel wheat is up obviously and i think it's about twelve dollars a bushel which is pretty high i don't know what soybeans is at uh i don't really check soybeans because we don't feed soybeans (laughs) so 
We don't really feed wheat either, but I just saw that one next to corn. My search, I just did real quick. Uh, soybeans are at almost $17 per bushel. 16.76. Then we have the two soybean crushing plants that are coming to Nebraska. Mm-hmm, that's so true. Near David City and then Madison County over past North Fork. Yep. Which yep. I think those are going to be a great addition to our counties. Yeah. They're going to pr- provide so many jobs for... I saw- an article about it and i think it's the midwest messenger okay i think it's called this is like a farming magazine yep and it came in the mail and i'm like we did a story on this already yeah, my, yeah it was so funny my grandparents were talking about it. i was like we talked about that on the podcast yeah. <laughs> See, even we learned stuff yeah <laughs> but on top of like uh prices going up i also know pesticide and herbicide and fungi- fungicide, excuse me, wow, fungicide costs are going up pretty rapidly, um, you know, with fertilizer. Uh, the hurricanes down south did not help glyphosate prices at all. We're also probably going to see a large rise in the use of fungicides right now because um, I know a couple weeks ago or a couple podcasts ago, we talked about black tar, I think. Oh, you yeah, yeah, about. we did talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um. They've actually f- assumed right now that it's in most of this uh, quarter of the, it's been Nebraska. Spreading. Yep. Ne- uh, Iowa has already confirmed that it was in all of their counties, and so it's pretty safe to it's assume a fair that, it's, yep. that it's um, at least in the east side of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be seeing a lot of people trying to combat that. Luckily, it's very responsive to fungicides, so we'll see people using those, but... Uh, usually, from what I remember, uh, it shows up after tasseling, which means people are going to have to be using airplanes to spray that. Or um, I don't know if you can do that through irrigation, but black tar likes moisture. So hopefully we'll see people maybe cutting back on irrigation and some water conservation. But that also means let's hope that we'll get the moisture that we need because mm-hmm. um, again we're going into spring pretty dry because we it has up here we have snowed. not yeah we haven't had hardly any snow up here and if it has it's been a couple inches and it's gone you know this craziness yeah I, well it snowed last week yeah last week yep wow you are correct <laughs> <laughs> like claire came back and she's like yeah we had snow or like why is it like did it snow up here or something and i'm like no <laughs> And she's like, well, we got snow back home. Like, did you now? <laughs> um, I didn't mean to make you bad. I was just <laughs> commenting on the weather. <laughs> um, up here, we got, I think, a quarter inch or so of rain. And it kind of turned to ice and sleet mixture. But it melted the next day, except in the shadows. But I was down at my grandparents on my mom's side. It, they live near Lawrence, Nebraska. And I think we got, like, inch to two inches uh, and I think it melted all in two days. Yeah. And it was it was something. And then I was like driving out, and I could just see the dust right behind the truck again. I'm just like, that didn't help at all. Yeah. It's we, not been. We great. needed an inch to two inches in rainfall to help some, not in snowfall. Because it hasn't been soaking in. It's yeah. been evaporating. Is yeah. the problem. My yep. mom was joking around last year. My dad made her a salt cart. So she can carry the salt bags uh-huh. because she's janitor at the school uh, in Coridge. So she salts the sidewalks and cleans them off and stuff. And so he made her just like a little wagon to pull yeah. the salt bags in. And, those are heavy. <laughs> yeah. But she hardly had to use it because there was like no ice. And this year, 
after the first snow where we got like, I don't know, it was like three or four inches or so. She bought snow boots and then oh, we didn't no. have any snow afterwards. <laughs> so she bought snow boots and hasn't had to wear them. But yeah, it's just a funny coincidence. But <laughs> She could have done better with rain boots. <laughs> right. right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this week's podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Tune in next week on Thursday at three. Uh, Thank you, Whitney. I had to think about it for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Blanos, found on freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.